Hello and welcome to Switch It, where we are still trying to put the social into social distancing. Most cricket followers know that the game has a flair for the ironical, and so it is that in late April, when the English season is usually shivering into life between showers, the skies are clear and the sun shines tauntingly in through our windows during lockdown. A bit like torrential rain sweeping in during a particularly inopportune moment of the Aussie summer, but more on that shortly. I'm joined today via the magic of teleconferencing by a couple of ladies of leisure, so long as it's only practised once a day at a distance of two metres or more. Firstly, uh, hello to ESPN Cricket Info General Editor Valkyrie Baines, whose recent work has included listing the most beautiful cricket grounds in England, as if to rub it in. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. It was nice to sort of gaze upon them from afar, wasn't it? It was a very good list, uh, and I'm sure we will see Tunbridge Wells again. Um, We also extend a a warm welcome to this week's special guest, uh, England captain and self-proclaimed Zoom pro, Heather Knight. If you can manage to make us all look good for the next 45 minutes or so, Heather, that would be appreciated. Um, How are you doing, and and what's it been like having to stay indoors rather than preparing for the season? Yeah, hello. Um, Yeah, it's been good. It's been different stages I think I think at the start I really enjoyed a little bit of time at home I'd been away for seven weeks just spending a bit of time at home as it was quite novel so I was enjoying that and now I'm firmly in the sort of bored and restless stage and I wanted to get back to cricket but um yeah it's what it is um finding things to do you adapt don't you as as a human to a new way of life and um yeah just getting used to the the hit videos and going out on that um one exercise a day and, and finding new things to do um, I mean, the most important question uh, right now, have either of you attempted uh, any hairdressing yet? <laughs> uh, I haven't yet. I have cut my boyfriend's hair once before a couple of years ago and he won't let me anywhere near the clippers at the moment. So <laughs> a couple more weeks and he and he might let me near it. But um, yeah, not not as such. Yeah, no, I'm absolutely not game. Um, I don't know what we're going to do. We're just going to have... Very long hair by the end of this, I think, all of us. It's a, it's a good look. We're all in the same boat. Um, one thing uh, that you were hoping to be doing, Heather, um, you signed up for the NHS volunteering scheme, but that hasn't quite gone to plan, I gather. Not quite, no. So um, obviously a bit more time in the hands and I was desperate to kind of do something to help. I've got a a brother in the NHS um, and quite a few friends. So obviously know firsthand kind of what they're going through and things like that. So I wanted to, to try and help. Uh, but I unfortunately got rejected because uh, I've hot-footed it out of London um, and headed down on the outskirts of Bristol where my boyfriend lives to get a bit more space. And my address didn't match up with my ID address. So um, they couldn't verify who I am. Uh, so to speak, I, I don't think saying Google me w- would have worked this time. But um, yeah, they've obviously had loads of volunteers sign up, which is, is great news. And it sounds like they've um, got enough people to help. You didn't pull the, you know, uh, do you not know I'm an England uh, World Cup winning captain uh, move? No, I didn't. I, I thought it might have been um, a bit busy for them at the moment. So um didn't need my ego getting in the way. <laughs> Fair enough. Well, it's, it's obviously the thought that counts. Um, and, uh, and and what else uh, uh, have you been uh, getting up to in your spare time? I, I noticed something uh, called break breakdancer press ups um, uh, made a, an appearance on social media. Yeah. So obviously, everyone knows you're not doing much at the moment. So if they ask you to do something, it's, it's quite hard to say no. So I'm getting used to filming <laughs> lots of things on my phone, which probably isn't. Um, my preference, uh, so to speak, but um, I'm doing lots of things like that, trying to respond to 20 messages and, and video back to people that have bored kids and, and give them some tips and things like that. And, um, yeah, trying to do a few fitness challenges as well. Uh, we've got uh, my uni friends, we've got a group set up to, to try and do a hit session every couple of days, which has been quite amusing. We're quite a, a varied level of fitness group, so to speak. Um, and there's been a few... Um, damaged, so to speak, to people's homes, to the floorboards, and, and the odd sort of thing knocked over. Uh, been, but it's been a lot, a lot of fun. Uh, I've actually spoke to uh, friends that I haven't spoke to in a while, or that I speak to uh, a lot more rarely in normal life. 
so it's been quite nice to, to kind of look after those people and um, yeah, see them a bit more regularly, albeit via a slightly different medium and a slightly uh, more awkward medium. Are you watching anything good on the box at the moment? Uh, well, my partner's telly doesn't actually work, so uh, that's not particularly useful. So we've been uh, watching a little bit of Netflix. He's always tried to get me to watch Star Wars, uh, which I've resisted most of the time. But um, I've, I've um, run out of excuses now we're in lockdown. So I've been watching the first three Star Wars films, which, um, yeah, were interesting. Slightly enjoyable, but um, also thinking they're slightly mad. Uh, and, yeah, just finding a few things to do, doing a, a bit of an online course and, and reading books that have backed up over the years that I've always wanted to read, but always come up with the excuse that I haven't had the time. So, uh, just to be clear, this is the first time you've ever watched any of the Star Wars movies? I've seen a couple of the newer ones. Uh, I've been dragged along to those. I actually got dragged to a midnight viewing of uh, Rogue One, I think it was, and I slept for about two hours of the two-and-a-half-hour film. And I've never seen so many men with long hair in the same place. Um, but apart from, from those <laughs> ones, um, I haven't seen any of the old ones, no. So we've gone back to the start, and I've been um, put through the, the sort of 1970s um, CGI, so to speak, or lack of CGI, I guess. The classics. Um, well, Disney approves of you getting on board uh, the Star Wars uh, train, albeit belatedly. Um, uh, Valkyrie, any high intensity training there, or, or uh, I mean, it's very much low intensity where I am. But um, how about yourself? Yeah, uh, no, I certainly haven't attempted the uh, break dancer push-ups. Um, I've got a back injury at the moment, so that would not be ideal. Um, yeah, I've had a fairly good excuse. Yeah, a, a legitimate excuse. Um, yeah, when, when, I, when I'm back, I'll give it a go. I saw, Heather, you had done 31. Is that your record thus far? Yes, I haven't actually retried it because it was quite painful the first time. So, uh, yeah, that, that was the record when I, I did it for the video on the ECB website. Very good, very good. Yeah, I don't think I'll be getting close to that, whether uh, I'm fully fit or not. But, uh, yeah, no, I've had a fairly sedate week. I'm hoping to uh, get back into some running very soon. Good, good. Um, Heather, you've also been involved in, in discussions a couple of weeks now, I guess, about, about pay um, with centrally uh, contracted women's players taking a, a 20% cut through April, May and June. W was there um, a group drive you know, amongst the players to, to contribute something there? Yeah, there was. Um, we, we sort of felt like it was the right thing to do. So obviously a lot of our staff have, have taken a bit of a pay cut and some have gone on furlough. So the, the sort of physios, S&C coaches, uh, cricket coaches that we work with on a day-to-day -day basis. So we felt as a, as a squad in the discussions we had, it was the right thing to do, I guess, to, to do the same. We're obviously still training in terms of fitness and things like that, but we're obviously not doing a lot at the moment and um, we're unsure how the summer will be affected. We're due to play our first England game on June the 25th against India, I think. So, um, yeah, obviously a little bit of time until that, so we're still hopeful that, that something will still go ahead. But, um, yeah, with the, the game and the situation it is, and um, obviously it's going to be effective, effective quite severely depending on how much cricket we lose. So we felt it was um, the right thing to do to, to sort of uh, make that statement as a group and, and support the staff and, and the rest of uh, the cricket community as a whole. And are there sort of ongoing um, conversations with the PCA? Do you think there are possible further measures that will, will come along those lines? Uh, potentially. We've, we've sort of committed to a three-month pay cut, which uh, lines up pretty much with when we're due to start our international summer. So uh, it's something that's been reviewed all the time and um, things are changing so much. It's it's hard to look too far into the crystal ball of the future, isn't it? So, um, yeah, we're just kind of um, waiting to see what happens and... If we have to make further moves, I guess that's something we'll have to discuss again as players. Um, but yeah, I was I was really proud of the way the girls responded to it. Actually, they were very uh, savvy in, in what was going on in the world, and um, yeah, had a very sort of pragmatic view on uh, what was the right thing to do. You've mentioned sort of the fitness work that you've been doing to sort of keep in shape, but obviously, uh, you know, everything is up in the air. But 
with the hope that cricket will be played at some point this summer, how do you go about doing some cricket training now? I mean, have you, is your partner, you know, doing throwdowns in the backyard? Um, the fast bowlers in particular, how are they going to sort of, you know, manage to go, go through their actions? Are there plans in place at the moment to start doing some cricket? Yeah, it's probably the hardest for the bowlers, I think, obviously. Uh, bowling fitness is very unique um, and puts a lot of strain on the body. So it's pretty hard to to do that in your back garden and, unless you've uh, got a massive one. And uh, unfortunately, my partner's is quite small and, and gravelly, so it's not ideal for practicing any fielding or anything like that. We have um, had the odd game of backyard cricket. Um, probably not my choice to, to play, sort of the old one, one hand, one bounce. But it's resulted in a few arguments. I think we're both quite stubborn and competitive. So uh, we've put that one on the back burner. But um, yeah, there's obviously sort of little things you can do in terms of catching. But um, to be honest, the only real sort of thing you can do with any intensity is, is your fitness stuff. And we've we've been sent bits of equipment by the ECB and been sent a bit of a programme to, to get going with. Um, so when we do come back, hopefully um, the time we need to prepare to, to get back to kind of cricket fitness is, is quite short and um, whatever the new schedule is, we can uh, get going as soon as possible. Uh, it seems another age, Valkyrie, that we were sat in the studio talking about the rain threat to the Women's T20 World Cup semi-finals. Um, unfortunately, England were scuppered by the Australian weather, but the home side did manage to squeak through, setting up that showpiece final against India and a historic occasion at the uh, MCG. Yeah, absolutely. So I guess... Um... In in terms of it, probably feels like a, a million years ago um, now, Heather. But yeah, just sort of re- recapping on the T Twenty World Cup. I guess um, first of all that opening loss to South Africa, um, then progressed through your semi final against India is rained off. They progress as you know leaders of their group. Um, the rain abates long enough for Australia to play South Africa in their semi. They win on DLS by five runs, um, and and basically set up that that final between the hosts and India. What you know, watched by eighty six thousand people. Um, I guess two points from that that opening loss to South Africa, and then the fact that there was no reserve day for the semi finals, and, and sort of on that you were you know very pragmatic at, at the time. And I mean, were you keeping a lid on it? What was your emotion at that time? And, and is it the same? Is it still there? Uh, well, yeah, it was obviously frustration at the time. Um, it was a very strange feeling, I guess, getting knocked out of a World Cup, an event that you prepare sort of years for um, to, to sort of peak at that time and to kind of get knocked out by rain. It was It was such a strange feeling, really. Uh, didn't really know how to react. Obviously, um, there was a reason we, we didn't go through in, in terms of not topping our group, losing that first game against South Africa. But um, I guess usually in tournament cricket is how you finish, not how you start. But unfortunately, that first game cost us. Um, South Africa played played very well. They're a very good team. Um, but unfortunately, we didn't, we didn't bat anywhere near well enough. Um, and obviously, unfortunately, lost that first game, which, which cost us ultimately. Um, but yeah, it, it was it is what it is. There's not a lot you can kind of do of it, do about it. And often when you come back from a world event, having get knocked out in the semis, you you do a lot of kind of um, soul searching, I guess, as an individual and, and as a team. Where you go next, what went wrong, um, where where you can move on as a team, I guess. And it, it's quite hard to do that. Ultimately, when it's it's the the wetness of the Australian sky that, that knocked us out. But um, yeah, I just hope. Like I said at the time, that no other team goes through that. Um, to not have a reserve day was was obviously uh, frustrating, especially when um, open the curtains slightly uh, hung over and, and see bright sunshine, which uh, wasn't particularly pleasant. But um, yeah, I hope the rules do change. I, I know at the moment they're the same for the Men's World Cup if it does go ahead. But um, yeah, I hope the ICC looks at it and it does change because I wouldn't want any other team to, to kind of have that sort of flat feeling of um, just watching it rain and, and being knocked out by that. In terms of other takeaways for, for the team, um, England tried Tammy Beaumont in that finisher role as opposed to at the top of the order. She was in, you know, around six and seven. So she had, you know, limited batting time. And then 
obviously was you know put back to the top of the order in the last group match against West Indies and and was unfortunately up for a duck there didn't get to have another go in in the semi-final but during that last um group match against West Indies Amy Jones dropped down and played quite freely at, at six I mean she made, she made sort of a, a 23 not out off of 13 and and you know looked comfortable there uh what were your thoughts on on the batting order and and you know, moving those guys around, and and I guess going forward, do do you see, you know, how do, how do you see that shaping up? Well, yeah, we we moved them around uh, slightly in the T Twenty batting order in the the preceding tour to um, well against Pakistan in Malaysia actually, and it was based on um, form at the the top of the order. Amy and Danny had done brilliantly in the Big Bash and internationally, and, and Tammy um, probably hadn't performed as well as she had in in fifty over cricket, which she'd admit herself and obviously we wanted um, Nat to move up the order and myself to to go up to number four so we were at three and four and, and that was obviously reasonably successful so um, yeah it was it was obviously not ideal to, to not have our openers firing um, at any point really during that tournament it sort of put us on the back foot straight away um, it can be a very fickle game as an opener in T20 um, you're bound to get low scores because you, you've got that role to go out and be aggressive and take on the bowlers in the power play and um, yeah unfortunately for Amy and, and Danny as well it, it didn't quite pay off and um, yeah moving Tammy up for that final game was um, just to, to try and change it up in, in tournament cricket where you have to react very fast and, and make those sort of decisions quickly because uh, you obviously don't have many games and unfortunately Tammy moving up in that final game didn't really work um, but yeah it's something we'll have to, to look at again we haven't quite solved that that issue in, in T20 cricket um, but coming up we've got 50 over World Cup hopefully um, next year in New Zealand sort of February March so 50 over cricket is definitely going to be our focus when we do get back playing and, and Tammy has obviously proven that she's a world-class opener in 50 over cricket so she'll most definitely um, head to that role and um, Danny moved up to open in 50 over cricket uh, in that tour um, to Malaysia as well against Pakistan and, and did did it very successfully and we see Amy as quite adaptable in, in terms of where she can bat and obviously it's a key role um, that's sort of 5-6 position in, in 50 over cricket especially in, in big tournament cricket um, so yeah we, we see Amy doing that role as well so is, it, is it tricky um, in T20 cricket cricket, uh, all, the, all the best batters like to bat up the top um, and uh, so you know Tammy uh, bats in sort of top three um, Nat yourself D- Danny White opens um, but finding a finisher um, you know as the, the men's team has seen as well that is uh, a very specialist role um, and a very important role in the team but if um, you, you don't have many players that are batting there in domestic cricket it's hard to, to ask them to do that in international um, cricket as well yeah, it's a, it's a tricky place to bat. Sort of, I've batted there quite a lot. So that six, seven role in T20 cricket, um, and it's a, a tricky one to do as a batter because you go in in so many different situations, and, and quite often you go in with an over left, and, and you sort of um, obviously got to score very quickly and try and hit sixes from ball one, or you go in when the the team's in a lot of trouble and you suddenly have to rebuild, but also score quite quickly and, and try and either set a good total or obviously finish games. So it's quite a unique role, I think, in T20 cricket. Um, but for me, my opinion is always your best batters and the most informed batters in T20 cricket need to face the most balls. Um, and, and I guess you're right in, in county cricket and um, the KSL, which will obviously due to be the 100 this year, um, a lot of our batters bat sort of top four um, as a general, because because they're obviously the best batters in the team and want the most opportunity, so they don't. Not many people get an opportunity to perfect that role to do it regularly. Um, so yeah, it's something that can be quite hard to do. So um, yeah, we haven't quite solved it yet. And to be honest, I don't think we've solved it in fifty over cricket as well. That that sort of number six uh, role, six seven role, um, is a little bit up for grabs. People that have had shots at it haven't quite done it or, or taken the role and, and made it their own so that's something that we definitely have on our list of uh, things to get right leading into the World Cup um, and yeah hopefully we get a, a good run of matches before that to, to try and solve it um, Just uh, going back to the um, the rain and the unfortunate manner of, uh, of going out of the tournament Heather, 
what point did your your knowledge about the regulations and um, your uh, knowledge of the weather forecast coincide? I think it was about two days before the match. So uh, when we arrived in Sydney and the forecast looked a bit dodgy, um, I can't remember the exact moment, but I think it was Lisa, obviously head coach, who, who mentioned that there wasn't a reserve day. Um, and at the time I thought, oh, it'll, it'll be fine. Surely they'll be able to get the whole game in for the day. Um, but yeah, obviously it wasn't to be. And there was one point uh, someone told me that the, the men's T20 did have a reserve day, which... Um, led to sort of 20 minutes of anger and being ready to cause an, an international situation um, about gender. But um, I was wrongly informed and it is it's the same for the men's. But um, yeah, it was only the day before when you, you sort of saw the extent of the rain that was due for the next day that we kind of realised we might be in trouble. Um, but yeah, we, we were always hopeful. We're, we all turned up um, in sunglasses to have a bit of irony and, and try and keep our sense of humour and uh but as as soon as we were there we saw how heavy it was raining and um, there wasn't any breaks in the forecast uh and just yeah amazed the Australians got on really it was uh, you can almost see how they played in the final they they almost um had a sense of it, it was meant to be because because of the the time they got in that semi I think they were sort of eight minutes away from from losing the game and, and getting knocked out of the home world cup um but yeah unfortunate thing that unfortunately we couldn't do too much about um, would you be uh, happy if the men's world t20 uh, does go ahead later this year if the icc were to you know make what is perhaps a sensible change uh, on reserve days um currently not any scheduled for that men's tournament but if they were to make that shift i mean would you see that as a, a positive sensible move yeah i'd much rather they made the shift um it had potential to put a bit of a or big dampener on the tournament as well if uh, that second semi was lost. So, yeah, I, I hope they do. But um, I'm sure it won't rain in Australia <coughs> Excuse me, in November. I think the, the uh, World Cup is due to, to, be, to be played. I mean, you were very, very calm, very phlegmatic in, in that sort of post-match. Um, but, I mean, surely you, you were swearing inside like a trooper. Oh yeah, of course. I was um, obviously massively gutted and inside and, and frustrated at the situation. And there, some of the the hardest interviews you ever have to do after uh, you either get knocked out of a world event or or knocked out by rain, as as we were. And they're, I guess the the hardest interviews to do. Um, so yeah, it's just about trying to put on a bit of a a face and um, yeah, I guess get your your point across with, without being too emotional, which obviously. It's hard when you, you've just sort of found out the situation. Um, and you'd been in a, a great run of personal form, uh, your first T20 International 100, um, I think even that tri-series leading in, um, scores of 67, 78, uh, 18, 13, 6, and 108 not out, 62 and 17. Um, that was a, yeah, pretty, you're in pretty decent nick there. Yeah, it was, and um, obviously not being able to play the semi-final was quite frustrating because it felt like we were really building something as a team. We felt like we had a bit of momentum with us. We had a few batters in form, and um, yeah, I was just enjoying it, to be honest. Uh, we didn't start the tri-series in Australia very well, I think, and um, I think it was quite important that I, I went out and, and scored some runs and set a bit of a, a precedent, I guess. Uh, we started quite slowly in, in quite a few games and um, myself and Nat managed to kind of rebuild and, and throw a few punches back under pressure, which has been a big sort of thing we want to do as a side. When we're under the pump, we want to be able to, to fight back and, and be really aggressive and, and not go into our shells. So that was something uh, I thought we did quite well in, in uh, the tri-series leading up to the World Cup. And so when you find form in T20, it's all about momentum, isn't it? It's all about trying to keep it going as a batter. Um, and same with bad form. Conversely, I guess when you when you're in a rut in T20, it all comes so quickly. It's it's hard to get out of it. So it's important in that tournament that I, I tried to to make the most of my good form. I know Australia very well. I, I know my game very well, and I was just enjoying obviously going up the order slightly and, and being able to face a few more balls. Um, and yeah, I've, I feel like I've worked out my twenty. 20 game a lot better the last couple of years. It's probably the format I've had to work out the most in, in terms of it doesn't come 
as naturally to me, I guess. And um, I've tried to expand it in terms of how I pace my innings and realising sometimes you, you've got a bit more time than you think. And um, hopefully now I've got the game where at the back end of an innings I can catch up very quickly and, and score uh, a lot faster and, and clear the ropes. You mentioned that move up to number four. Um, it, did that contribute, do you think, to your, your form at that time? Yeah, I think so. Just being able to face more balls and obviously went in a few times uh, under pressure when um, it was early in the innings and we lost a couple of wickets. So having that extra time, I think, um, definitely able to enable me to get into a bit of form. And and I'm usually better when I've got a bit of responsibility as well. And uh, when the team's in trouble, um, I generally play a bit better. So, um, yeah, I think that kind of helped. And um, getting a bit of confidence early in the tour, uh, against Australia and India in that tri series uh, was obviously really useful getting into the World Cup. Are you a bit of a fan of Canberra? You've got a really good record at Manuka Oval. I think a hundred and forty twenty fifties there. Yeah, I'm a massive fan. Um, uh, I think I've had most of my top scores in T20 cricket there. So it's a it's the ground that's very nice to bat on. You get very good value for your shots. It's quite skiddy compared to a lot of the pitches in Australia as well, which I think uh, tends to suit my game a little bit. So. Um, yeah, I enjoy it. It's, it's not the most exciting city, Canberra, as well. So probably got a few more early nights, um, which might, maybe helped with uh, the run scoring. Have there been um, have there been any technical tweaks that, that you've made? Um, talking about kind of uh, adapting to, to faster scoring for T Twenty and that sort of thing. Yeah, after the twenty seventeen World Cup, actually, I, I made quite a big change to my technique. Uh, so I used to have my hands quite low uh, when I set up around my, my waist. And then I made a change with uh, the batting coach at the time, Ali Maiden, to, to get them a bit higher, um, got a much sort of higher back lifter. It's not very aesthetically pleasing, so to speak. And I just sort of lifted my bat around like a baseball player near my head. But um, the whole idea was to have a bit more rhythm, a bit more um, height in my hands, I guess. So so when they do come through the ball, they um, come through faster and um, I can hit the ball a lot harder. And, and that it took a while, actually, to, to kind of ingrain that technique because uh, obviously you, you hit thousands and thousands of balls throughout your career up to that point and uh, sort of being able to find the, the rhythm and timing took um, a good sort of three, four weeks to, to get um, and it was just before an Ashes trip actually uh, in 2017 and um, the change made a, a big impact straight away um, and it, I found it's really helped T20 cricket and, and also on slow wickets as well where it's not as easy to to kind of time the ball um, through the field, having that extra power and extra hand speed has really helped me on, on slow wickets where I potentially might have struggled before. And you're the first woman, uh, first England woman, I think, to score hundreds in, in all three formats. Uh, that must be, um, you know, quite a, a proud moment as well. Yeah, that was really nice. I didn't actually know the stat until after I uh, scored that hundred at Canberra. So first ever women to, to do it in all three formats. Obviously, we don't get a huge amount of opportunity to play test cricket. So, um, to do that was was really nice, and I think one that I'll be really proud of when I look back uh, to do it in all all three formats is something I, I guess I pride myself on being adaptable as a batter and uh, being able to <coughs> excuse me rejig to any situation or format that I play in. So to to have that accolade uh, was really nice, and I think the T twenty one for me sort of batting in the middle order was always going to be the hardest. So um, yeah, quite nice to to take that off and, and to do it in a World Cup was. Um, was even better. Obviously, it was a, a World Cup that, uh, in the end, uh, went to Australia again. Um, they they perhaps had a little bit of luck with that. Uh, the weather in the semi, um, they had their wobble in the group stage. Um, but they have been the sort of standout team in, in the women's game over perhaps the last a year or two. Obviously, all the, the 50-over world champions. Um, but last summer's Ashes was a tough one. Um was was that a, a bit of a reality check for for you and the side in some ways? Yeah, maybe. Uh, uh, it was very tough. Uh, it's probably the toughest summer I've ever been involved in as a player. Uh, the Aussies just got the momentum and were playing really good cricket, and we just didn't have an answer really. And um, yeah, it was it wasn't a particularly pleasant summer, I guess, as captain in particular to to take that sort of hammering. I guess. Um, but I think going into the World T20, we felt like we'd taken a lot from that as a side. It, it was a real leveller, I guess, of, of terms of where we were as a side. But it also gave us a really big opportunity to sit down and think, right, this is 
this is where we're at now. Um, the only way is up. How we how we're gonna go about things? How do we want to play as a team? How do we want to be? Um, how are we gonna compete with Australia in the future? And we did a lot of things, really good stuff um, leading up to that World T20. Um, we still got a, a little bit of work to do for sure. Um, but it almost felt like that World T20 could have been our redemption a little bit. So to obviously not have the chance to, to play Australia in that final, um, they played outstanding in that final. I thought they bought their best game and uh, for me I felt early in the tournament they were really vulnerable they <clears throat> looked quite nervous in how they went about things and obviously there was a lot of pressure around them with uh, the MCG and the the uh, Cricket Australia and the ICC trying to go for that world record um, which obviously wouldn't have been possible probably without Australia being there so there's a lot of pressure on them and we felt like they were sort of feeling that pressure quite a lot um, but yeah, credit to them. They, they played outstanding. I was at that final and uh, the game they played to win was uh, the, the best I'd seen them play. Um, probably it was a, a real complete performance. Um, so yeah, unfortunately we didn't get get the chance, but uh, we've got the 50 over World Cup early next year, which is, is going to be huge for us. It, it's once every four years and, and obviously we're defending champions. So um, we've got a bit of work to do before then. Um, but yeah, I, th- I think the World Cup showed that the gap uh, isn't as big as, as what it was in the Ashes series. Australia just got away from us um, and a few teams gave Australia some some scares in that World Cup. No doubt they're, they're a very good team and they're going to be very hard to beat. They've, they've got such a, a depth, I guess, of, of players. Um, but we're not that far away, I don't think. We've just got to do a few things a little bit differently and um, yeah, hopefully we can give it a good shot in that 50 World Cup. Big change between the Ashes and that T20 World Cup was getting the new coach Lisa Keatley in. Um, how how different was it to work start working with her, and and what are the differences that she's brought in already? Yeah, I've known Lisa for a long time now. So she worked as coach of the academy in England a few years back. So I got to know Rizby well then, and she's just very laid back. Um, She's very calm as a coach. Um, she's probably let me as captain take a bit more of a lead in terms of how we do things and, and sort of leading the, the team on, on match days and training days and things like that. So um, I guess that's been a slightly different to, to how it was with Mark. I'm a big fan of Mark and I think he did some really brilliant stuff uh, with the team. But I think it was a, the right change to, to bring Lisa in who's taken a bit more of a back step um, works a little bit more on a, on a one-to-one basis with the players. Um, she's obviously got a wealth of experience in women's cricket as well, um, played many times for Australia um, and, and coached a lot in Australia and in various places as well. So, um, yeah, I guess the biggest change is, is how she's taken a bit more of a, a step back. Um, but she also hasn't had the chance to, to really do the things she wants to do as a team. Uh, we've worked quite closely since the World Cup, sort of planning how we're going to go about things moving forward. Um, obviously, haven't had a huge amount of time to, to implement things with uh, the current situation. Yeah, well, I guess that was um, that was a big thing because she didn't have much time. I think she joined in January, and then you know you, you had the World Cup. You know, a matter of weeks afterwards. How how much of a tough job was that for her to come in so close to a, a you know global tournament like that? Yeah, I think it's it's hard for everyone. Um, obviously, you. You do a lot of long-term planning for world events and, and World Cups and you want to be able to uh, peak at those times and for things to run smoothly. So obviously taking a, a new coach not too long before that um, wasn't ideal. So it was, it was tough for everyone. Everyone was sort of getting to know Lisa and getting to know how she works and, and vice versa with the team and, and with the players. So, um, But it was it was unavoidable. Uh, and I think it, it worked reasonably well. Uh, Lisa made it very easy. She's very relaxed, as I said, and... And made the transition quite easy. So, um, yeah, it wasn't an ideal situation, but, um, obviously Lisa's got a bit more time now to, to go about things how she wants to and, um, uh, sort of build that relationship with, with the players and, uh, move the team forward. And Heather, you sort of said you thought it's, it's perhaps the right time to make that change, um, with the, the coaching and, and Lisa's maybe, um, a bit more hands off. Mark Robinson was, you know, quite an intense, passionate guy. He um, had some uh, some strong views on how the team could improve when he took over. 
had it just you know his time reached the end of its natural life uh, had he sort of taken the team as as, as far as he could uh, obviously to, to winning a world cup so a very successful tenure uh, I guess uh, that was the the thought behind the change. I guess from from above uh, my pay station. Uh, obviously, Mark might have done things slightly d- differently after the, the Ashes, um, but I think when he came in, it was the the right approach he took. He was sort of very clear on how he wanted the team to, the way he wanted the team to go, what we needed to do to improve. And I think you saw that improvement very fast um, within. Sort of a year, obviously, of him taking over. We um, or eighteen months, sorry, we we won that World Cup, and sort of the the depth of players had, had definitely increased. And um, there's no one, nor no coach I've met that that probably cares more than Mark and, and works on so many different levels to to try and improve things. And um, he was brilliant with the levels below as well, and, and bringing them up to speed and um clear on on what he thought should happen with the game as a as a whole. Um, coming with a fresh set of eyes coming from the men's game um so yeah I think he did brilliant things at the start potentially as a team we're in a slightly different place and needed um to take a bit more ownership as players to be honest and um obviously we we wouldn't know if if Mark Carrion would have been able to do that uh, because it didn't happen but uh, that was the view that was made to and sort of the direction we wanted to go as players was to the once we knew the decision and that the coach had um, obviously was going to change, we wanted to to take a lot more ownership as players, and um, the girls responded brilliant, brilliantly to it, taking a lot more responsibility with how they go about things and, and their game. And um, yeah, I think that's um, something that will serve us quite well, and hopefully that will show in, in the next sort of year or so. Is it important? Do you think symbolically to have a, have a woman in the role as well now? Uh, I don't think so. I think for me, it's always about having the best candidate. I think it's it's always a a nice box to tick. I, I guess that uh, having the the first professional women's head coach. Um, and to be honest, I'm I'm kind of glad it's out of the way now. So it's it's sort of not a big deal, I guess, in the future. Um, but now I, I always saw it as it, it should be the the best candidate that goes for the job and um, conversations with. Um, the, the sort of people above there and, and Jonathan Finch was that Lisa was, was the best person that, that interviewed and applied for the role. So, um, yeah, I don't think it was too relevant, obviously, that she was a woman apart from ticking that box that um, it hadn't been done yet. Um, <laughs> this this was... Uh, this summer um, was supposed to be the summer uh, on which the ECB embarked on a, on a restructuring of the women's game. Um Obviously, there is so much in the air, up in the air right now, uh, about cricket. Uh, well, life in general. Um, Valkyrie, uh, what were what were the plans um, that the ECB were hoping to put in place, and, and do we still sort of expect them to go ahead in some form or another? Yeah, so in October, the ECB announced a massive investment in the, the women's and girls game, basically £20 million, you know, in 2021 to be, or by 2021 to be spent. That includes, you know, the key things like 40 new elite contracts for players outside the 22 ECB centrally contracted players. Um, eight new elite regional teams that'll play a 50 over and a T20 competition. Um, and, and, but, you know, things like that. And they'd all have a, a director of um, women's cricket at each region and that sort of thing. Now, on-field action was is slated for late August, September. Um, obviously, we don't know what's going to happen with, with the season to come. That £20 million has been ring-fenced, however. So that's good. That's still going to happen regardless of... The current situation, um, and another encouraging thing was that the ECB told me yesterday they are aware of a need to take care of the people involved. Because if you think about it, there's 40 women out there who are expected to become professional cricketers this season. It may not happen now, so I'm going to have to think about: Do I hold out for a year? Do I pursue another career? It's all just you know so up in the air. So in, encouragingly, the ECB are aware of that and, you know, the fact that they'll need to look after the people involved and the fact that that money is, you know, safe. Um, but I guess the thing is, you know, is cricket going to be played in that form this summer? What are your thoughts, Heather, on the importance of of that, uh, whether it be this year or next? 
Yeah, I think it's really important. And I think the changes that were coming in this summer for the women's game were really exciting. You obviously got the 100, which has been talked about a lot more in the press. But for me, the biggest change was in the domestic structure and how, like you said, there was going to be 40 new domestic professional cricketers and a 50-over competition um, that has eight teams and obviously creates a higher level of competition compared to what we've had in county cricket where it's done a job, but the the talent has been a lot more dispersed. So it's about creating a, a structure that's going to improve the women's game down the line um, and keep it growing. And obviously from an England perspective to, to keep uh, the the players coming into the team, having that best preparation and, and having competitive cricket below England stuff as well. Um, obviously the, the timing is not ideal, but I think the ECB have, have been great and they've, like you say, guaranteed that funding. And I know there's conversations going on about what will happen uh, with those players and whether cricket will be played this summer or it might be uh, slightly delayed till next year because obviously they want to do it right and the changes that have been proposed and put forward have been a sort of long-term strategy to, to change the game in this country and um, create a, a better domestic structure that isn't amateur, it's, it's more uh, professional. So uh, they've obviously got the long-term view in mind and um, whether that happens this year, I'm not so sure. but. Um, if it doesn't, I know the, the money will be transferred into next year and, and it won't be lost, so to speak. Uh, but obviously, cricket's in a precarious position at the moment. We don't know exactly what's going to happen. And those new players that were going to be professionals, the 40 contracts, obviously, at the moment, won't have anything to do. So um, I can imagine it's quite hard for them right now to, to be able to award them. So um, I imagine there'll be some sort of delay in the very least. As you say, no one knows that you know what's going to be played and, and when. But in, in your heart of hearts, do you think we will see some cricket played this summer? Oh, definitely. I think there'll be some cricket. What format it is is in, I don't know. Uh, obviously, there's the logistical issues of getting overseas players or overseas uh, teams over. Uh, we were due to play India in June and July, and then South Africa in September. So obviously, South Africa is a lot more likely uh, and I know the, the ECB are working lots of different scenarios in, in terms of different schedules and, and whether um, India could come later or um, we play later in the summer or potentially go on a on the tour which wasn't planned in, in the autumn because um, obviously got that, that World Cup to prepare for 50 over World Cup in, in uh, February so um, I hope there'll be some cricket played but what that looks like, you, you just don't know, do you? Because the, the pandemic's at different stages at, in different parts of the world. And at the moment, we're at the epicentre. So um, if people, people want to travel here, I'm not so sure. Um, but the situation is changing all the time. Um, and yeah, I, I don't know what's going to happen with the 100. Because in the women's game, especially, I think, without overseas players in, in the competition, the, the stage that the women's game is at at the moment, whether there is that depth to, to create a real sort of high quality competition I'm not so sure um so it might be that that that's delayed um but yeah that's for um people well above my pay scale to to make those big decisions yeah I guess with the 100 as you say does the women's game stand to lose a bit more perhaps in terms of it's replaced the KSL so that you know there isn't anything else do you think there could be possibly a, a small resurrection of the KSL in some kind of truncated form if the 100 is cancelled oh, I don't know to be honest um, obviously if the 100 is cancelled that creates an opportunity to, to maybe play more international cricket or move an international tour um, there was due to be county T20 cricket being played from the start of May, uh, so that's obviously pretty much off the cards at the moment. So whether uh, that is rearranged, I, I don't know. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's just a little bit of a wait and see at the moment. We're just hopeful uh, we can get loads of cricket in uh, towards the back end if, if that's the case. Um, we're just going to have to be adapt towards players and, and accept that things might have to be a little bit different, uh, whether the game's behind closed doors. Um, that's an option that's being looked at, I know. Um, and obviously as players we're more than happy uh, we just want to get out there playing and um, sort of doing the, the things we love and, and obviously what we're paid to do now um, Heather what about your own sort of personal goals I think this is your fourth year 
of captaincy. Um, are you still as as uh, hungry and ambitious to lead the team? And um, uh, I mean, uh, you're still not not yet thirty. I mean, you you've been an international cricketer for a long time, um, but you know what's the next uh, what what are the next few years look like from from your perspective yeah i've been playing for more than 10 years now uh, myself and danny white had our 10 year debut anniversary at the world cup actually so that was a, a nice sort of moment to look back and reflect um and yeah i, I guess for me i haven't really set a, a goal on what i want to do too much I, i'm more of a uh, plan little and live in the moment sort of person but um we also got a, a world cup coming up which is, is the next big thing and um as long as i'm still enjoying it which i am and and as captain i'm I'm still moving the team forward hopefully and, and people are still responsive to to how i do things and, and what i say i guess and, and people are enjoying um, the course the team's on i still want to contribute and I've, I've still got that sort of passion to keep moving the team forward and I really enjoy that side of it um, as well as playing and um, I think the last couple of years uh, hopefully my form's been been good as well um, so yeah I'm hopeful I can continue that as long as possible as, as long as the body uh, sort of stays fit and um, it's actually a good time now to, to get a good bit of rehab in since I've had a few niggly injuries I guess over the last couple of years um, stemming from a, a big hamstring injury I had in, in 2013 so it's a bit of a chance now to, to kind of reset, I guess, and, and try and get a good bit of rehab uh, into to try and prolong my career a bit as well. And um, it's also been a good chance to, to look at a few things I might want to do after I finish playing. But um, yeah, I definitely haven't set a, a time on when I, when I want to finish yet. Um, and obviously it might not be uh, my choosing, so to speak, but um, I'm just enjoying playing the game at the moment and playing as much so as I possibly can. In that time that you've been skipper, what aspect of your game has developed most do you think I mean is it as simple as leadership or was that something that came naturally and it was more game related what what's evolved most for you as captain uh, I think naturally when you you start your captaincy you um you're sort of feeling your way um probably you're led a bit more by the coach who appoints you I guess and I think that dynamic changes uh, I think you're probably seeing this with Joe in the men's team at the moment as well you, the dynamic changes in terms of um, how confident you are and, and sort of the the way you want to lead the team as you become more of an experienced captain, I think. So that naturally changes. And I feel with captaincy, you're always learning all the time, always trying to add little things to your bow, um, work out what you're doing well and, and what you're, you're not doing so well, I guess, and then try and improve on it because it's really not an exact science and a lot of the things you see on the field is a small proportion of captaincy. I think it's um, your relationships you have with, with the players, um, the things you do off the pitch, the examples you set, I guess, and the, the conversations you have. So, um, yeah, it's a, it's a very unique job, I think, being a cricket captain um, and the different kind of aspects and responsibilities that it involves. But um, I think as as I've developed and um well, the years have moved on. Uh, it's gone very quickly, those four years. Um, you, you're sort of a lot more authoritative, I guess, in, in how you want to do things and the, the vision you see for the team and um, probably a lot better at, at persuading them to, to sort of go on that path with you as well. Um, I'm glad you mentioned your uh, your 10 years as an England cricketer, actually. Uh, Heather, I've got, I've got a quick quiz for you here. Um, March 1st, 2010, uh, Mumbai. Um Three quick ones, three quick questions. Um, firstly, how many runs did you score? 49. Caught mid-off. Very good. Yeah, I was, I, it's, the fact you knew it was the, the anniversary recently suggests you, yeah, you know, retain a, a, a memory for these things. Um, who did you open the batting alongside? Oh, uh, I think it was a last ever game for England. Um, Ebony Rainford-Brent. That's that is correct. Yeah, uh, I'm sure there's no connection with uh, <laughs> your arrival in the team and her, and her uh, uh, <laughs> career coming to its end. <laughs> um, and what was the result of that game? Uh, we won. So I think the series had already gone, and Danny Wyatt scrambled the last run off her pad. I think to win the game. By what margin? Oh God. We were chasing, so it must have been 
maybe four wickets. Uh, I guess. Ooh, it was uh, it was far less comfortable than that. It was a two wicket win. But you're right, Danny Wyatt was uh, uh, out there on debut as well, possibly. Um, yeah. Uh, uh, yeah, she was scoring the winning runs. So yeah. Uh, and for a bonus point, uh, how many how many initials does Ebony have in her in her name? It looks good on a cricket scorecard, I have to say. Far too many. Um, like it's a big name, like her personality. That's for sure. Uh, Ebony, <laughs> Co- there's like Coralie. Yeah, yeah, that's that is part of it. You, you've got. Is there a Patricia Nova? I made that up. <laughs> no, that that's that's your own um, uh, imagining. I think maybe she's got seven uh, official letters in a in a abbreviated uh, name. So well, with Rainford Brent being two as well, uh, yeah, I think uh, we've got eight: Ebony Jewel, Cora Lee, Rosamond, Camellia, Rainford Brent. So there we go. And well, before we finish uh, up, Heather, just um, a final thought. Really, we t- touched on the. Uh, 2021 World Cup. Uh, I mean, hopefully that does go ahead as planned in New Zealand. You're scheduled to open uh, your tournament, uh, the second match against Australia. Um, we've discussed that rivalry as well, but um, how much are your thoughts or kind of already turning towards that planning? Um, particularly, you've got a lot of time on your hands currently uh, to be looking to the future. Yeah, obviously, lots of planning. Um, it's quite hard to to plan when you don't know the exact schedule, but um... It'll come round so quickly that World Cup. So yeah, there's, there's obviously a few different areas we're we're kind of looking at uh, planning wise, trying to uh, make sure in the lead up we, we've got our best team uh, in our minds. Uh, we've obviously had a few younger players come in and, and do brilliantly, particularly in the T20 format. So there's a few uh, sort of spots, I guess, um, that are going to be competed for. Um, and yeah, it's just trying to get the the team to peak for that because. World Cups are particularly 50 over World Cups are amazing events and um, obviously we had great memories of that tournament in England in 2017 so um, yeah, we're desperate to try and retain our title Yeah of course defending champions uh, I mean uh, does that bring a little bit of pressure? Uh, maybe uh, I think um, probably a very different team to what we were in 2017 uh, a lot of different players have changed and uh, a lot of cricket has happened since then but um, yeah potentially it might bring a bit of pressure but I imagine obviously the way Australia have gone the last few years um, there'll be a lot of pressure on them as, as probable, probable favourites as well Okay well that is still a long way off um, hopefully we've all mastered the breakdance press ups by then uh, and Heather you've been back out for a, a hit or several um, time to wrap things up for this week uh, as always we encourage you to stay in, uh, look after one another and keep your fingers crossed the good weather hangs around for when we need it uh, thanks to Heather and Valkyrie, and to you all for tuning in to the Switch It podcast on ESPNCrickInfo.com.